My name is Brooklyn. If you don't know me, I am very excited to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, I was very excited to hear about this series, Thicker Than Blood, that you guys are doing. Um, Oh, I'll just tell you right now. We are going to be in the book of Ruth, so if you want to get a Bible and just get to Ruth 1, uh, we'll get there. Um, But we are in the series Thicker Than Blood and looking at biblical friendship, and that is a, a subject I am rather passionate about. Uh, And so, just a recap of where, sorry, I can't see any of you, just a recap of where y'all have been in this series is that uh, Zach opened it up um, with tailing off of your uh, LGBTQ plus series and some of the questions um, and and this deep like concern for loneliness was just beautiful to see um, the heart of you guys and seeing that loneliness is an actual and real thing felt uh, not only by people in that community, but then also what do we do with The woman who doesn't get married. The man who doesn't get married. What do we do with the widow who doesn't remarry? What do we do with the person who is married and is still experiencing loneliness? And so where we find this answer is biblical friendship that the Lord has designed for us to live in such a way for this loneliness uh, to have a solution. Um, And then... Joe went, I was like trying to keep it in order, didn't forget your name. Joe did a really beautiful job of showing us something that is lacking in our friendships, which is intimacy. Um, And he showed us David and Jonathan and how intimacy in a friendship is beautiful and uh, it's what we're longing for. Um, And then Preston did a great job. He was showing how family um, is not the end-all be-all goal and is not the solution to loneliness, but that through family that is designed by God and it is beautiful, but that Christ's redemptive work has brought you into a family where you can benefit from this family and you also have a role to play in that family to other people, whether it's to be a brother or sister to the person sitting next to you, spiritual mothers and fathers. There's all these beautiful things that happen in the family of God. And then Kenny took us last week to somewhere where he pointed out one of our stumbling blocks in our friendships is just the sinful nature we bring to it of being selfish and, uh, and how selflessness is really what is required. And so um, all of those things really set up my talk tonight. I get to come and just kind of stand on the shoulders of giants that went before me who laid a very nice foundation. Um, and the book of Ruth is going to just be a nice case study for us. Um, but before we dive into Ruth, I want to address this myth that we're all tempted to believe, and that is that uh, the idea of, of commitment and freedom are in opposition to one another, that we can't have one or the other, that commitment might mean that we are giving up our freedom. We might avoid commitment because we feel like we're giving up some freedoms that we have. And so just to think through some sillier scenarios, we can all think about maybe there's an event here at church or an event somewhere else, and you have to register for it, and maybe you hold off till the last minute to register because what's that thought going through your head? What if something better comes along? I just want to keep myself open to that. 
I know that because I've done that. I've had that thought, and I know I'm not alone in this room. Um, I know when I was in high school and college, if you, like, organize an event, you're like, okay, here's all the details. Here's what we're all doing. And then you text it to someone, and you're like, hey, do you want to come? And they're like, their response is, who's all going to be there? Well, not you, because your invite has just been revoked. No, but you get frustrated because somebody is looking and seeing the full scope of this, of is it to my advantage? Is it to my benefit? I don't want to commit to this until I know what it means for me entirely. Something, I mean, there's so many different things where we don't commit. There's things where it's smart that we don't commit until we've actually gotten a little bit more. Like, we don't just commit to a, a college without going and looking at it. There's things that we do. I just recently in this last year, I made the decision to buy a house and that felt like a really big commitment. Like I'm no longer renting and kind of have this freedom. Like I would be committing to this property and having to be a steward of this. Is this something I really want to do? Do I want to be committed to Mesa? Do I want to be committed to this side of town? And all of these things that we have to think through and thinking, oh, some of my freedoms are gone. But if we're all longing for true intimacy with others, to be known and to be loved and to know someone and to love them, commitment and faithfulness is the choice circumstance for intimacy to thrive. Commitment and faithfulness is the choice circumstance for intimacy to thrive thrive. So then we come to the book of Ruth and we have this case study, like I said, it's going to just serve to see a lot of the tools that you've already been given of how to approach intimate biblical friendship. And what we'll see is in this story of Ruth and her relationship and her commitment to Naomi. Um, And so where we are at when we come to Ruth is it starts off with saying, in the time of the judges. Um, And so we're, we're already tipped off to we're not in a time that's typically marked by loyalty or commitment of Israel to the covenant of Yahweh. Um, But there are those who do remain faithful to Yahweh. And so we come to Naomi, and she's married to Elimelech, and they leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab because there is a famine. And so when they are in Moab, Naomi's husband dies, and she is now widowed. But it tells us that she has two sons, and those two sons have gone to marry two Moabite women. We've got Orpah, and we have Ruth. Naomi's sons also pass away. So now we have this widow who is left with two daughter-in-laws who are also widowed. And so she's encouraging Naomi, she's encouraging her two daughter-in-laws to go back to their families. Go back, start again. Go back to your families, Go find husbands and start again. And her two daughter-in-laws are like, no, 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 we're going to stay with you. We're going to stay with you. And Naomi goes, no, let me show you how foolish this is. I have nothing to offer you. There is no advantage for you to come with me. I have no other sons you can marry. And if I were to have a husband today and conceived a child tonight, what would you do? Wait for me to have this child It is foolish for you to continue on. I have nothing to offer you. Go back to your families and start afresh. And so Orpah kisses Naomi and she leaves. She returns to her family as would be expected. But Ruth, it's said of her that she clung right there in 14, chapter 1 at the end. But Ruth clung to her. 
Now, this is an interesting word used here. This word for clung is the same word used for cleave, to cleave. So what we have Ruth doing here is that she is going to leave her father and her mother and her homeland, and she is going to cleave to Naomi. It is very similar of the same idea that is spoken of, of Genesis 2 when God is talking about the institute of marriage. That a man shall leave his father and mother, and he shall hold fast, or that same word, cleave, to his wife. So I'm not saying that Ruth and Naomi are getting married here, but what is being portrayed is the seriousness and the commitment that we see in marriage is being acted out in this friendship, this commitment to Naomi. It is a serious commitment like the commitment of marriage. She is leaving everything she knows and committing to Naomi. That's spicy, but it gets spicier because she goes on in 16 through 18, follow along with me, to make this incredible vow. Not only is she leaving and cleaving to Naomi, she makes this vow that is unlike any vow or anything I've ever said to a friend in my entire life. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Whoo! Wow. She says, I'm going to follow you back. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be part of this people you are a part of. I'm going to worship this God that you worship. And then she commits to die where she dies. She is committed to be with Naomi till death do them part. She doesn't say, hey, I'm going to follow you back. I'm just going to come and we'll see how things play out. Like, maybe you'll get on your feet again, and if nothing's really working out, and I don't really find somebody else to marry, then I'm going to head back here to Moab, and I'll be with my family, but we'll get you settled, and we'll just play it by ear. She has made this covenant. She has made this vow to her that she is going to follow her. She's willing to follow Naomi back, even though that might mean living as a widow into her own old age with no one to care for her. She's a foreign widow. This doesn't look like a promising future for her, but she's not looking to her own needs at this moment. She is looking to the needs of her aging mother-in-law who has this very difficult journey ahead of her. And in loving, faithful kindness, she wants to take that burden on with her. So the Chapter 1 finishes out, they set off for Bethlehem, there's nothing she can do, she's made this vow and it's before God, and if anything else, God smite me. And so they head out, and Naomi goes, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be called Naomi anymore, because that means sweet, pleasant delight, and I want to be called bitterness. And so Ruth's like, cool, I just committed to a woman who wants to be identified as bitter. Awesome. 
This is great. No, Ruth continues on. When we get to chapter 2, Ruth's loyal kindness continues to Naomi, and they go forward, and uh, she's going to start doing manual labor. So not only has she committed to be with Ruth, to stay with her, and to live this life of unknown with her, but she's committed to her. She's going in and doing the manual labor of just what it's going to take for them to survive. If you've been doing Bible in a year with us, you know uh, one of the practices that's coming up in this uh, in this book of Ruth is um, something put in place by Yahweh that uh, people with the fields at harvest, that they would leave crop in the field so that um, people like poor people or widows could be cared for, that they would come and they would glean after people of harvest. And so that is what Ruth is going to do. Naomi does not seem to go out with her. Maybe she's too old to go and do this manual labor. So Ruth is going and she is providing for the both of them. Um, And so by God's providence, she is gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz. And we're told that Boaz is actually a relative of Naomi, but then it's just kind of left alone. We see that Boaz, he's curious about Ruth. He's curious who's this foreigner and what's she doing, what's going on. And he hears all about what she is doing for Naomi. Here's about how she has followed her, her widowed mother-in-law back as she has widowed herself. And so Boaz, he sets up all of this provision for her to be able to be successful as she gleans in his fields. And she's curious as to why she has found such favor in his sight. So in chapter 2, this is Boaz's response. It says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law... Since the death of your husband has been fully told to me in how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Then he pronounces this this prayer of blessing on her. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So the loyalty, the loving kindness that Ruth had displayed so far had not gone unnoticed, nor this wisdom for her to be coming in to seek refuge from Yahweh and from his people. And so this has spurred Boaz to act in great loving kindness towards Ruth and Naomi as well. And so he continues to provide and show that he is this man of stand-up character that the text earlier describes him as. And so then when Ruth comes back, Naomi asks, like, okay, whose fields were you in? And she says, oh, I was in Boaz's field. And Naomi responds, oh, that's wonderful. He's he's our redeemer. We already knew that he's a relative, but she says he is a redeemer. And that's this cultural practice, this kinsman redeemer, is this cultural practice that they had in Israel where when a man died and left a widow... A relative, this kinsman, would come in and he would marry the widow and they would have children to continue the line of this deceased man so that this offspring would continue the line of the deceased man but also have the inheritance of this land uh, that the deceased man left behind with his widow. So it's this practice, and so she's saying he's one of our redeemers. And then it just kind of stops and we hear, and then barley season, the harvesting season was over. And we come to chapter 3, and so, so far we've seen this incredible thing in chapter 1 that Ruth has done where she makes 
this vow and such a commitment and devotion of loyalty to Naomi, it is recognized by Boaz, and Ruth is commended at this point just for her commitment and for her love and kindness and loyalty. But then we see some reciprocation from Naomi. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? What she is saying there is that she, she realizes she has been cared for by Ruth, that Ruth has gone out. She's the one gleaning the fields, providing for their survival, and she sees that she wants to care for Ruth. She wants to seek rest for her, for it to be well with her, and that's this language saying she wants her to have a husband because she doesn't have a daughter-in-law who's going to come along and do what Ruth did for her. And so she's like, I want this for you. And then she brings up again, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. And so she gives her this instruction saying, you should go, stop dressing as a mourning widow, show that you are ready for remarriage, Go to the fields and go and propose this idea to Boaz. And again, Ruth is just being faithful and submitting to her. Verse 5, she says, and Ruth replied, all that you say I will do. So Ruth goes to the threshing floor where Boaz is going to be doing what they do during harvest time and threshing floors and whatnot. And it's, she's dressed saying, I'm single, ready to mingle, and uncovers his feet and whatever that was, like sliding into DMs or sliding into his feet. What, she sleeps there, and somehow it's culturally, like everybody knows, like, okay, that's, that's, he freaks out. He goes, what are you doing? And she goes, okay, here's the thing. You're our kinsman redeemer, and will you blah, 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 blah. The rest is history. We don't actually know how important or how significant her doing that is until we see Boaz's reaction. In verse 10, it says, May you be blessed. This is Boaz, what he is saying to Ruth. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness, this last kindness, greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And so Boaz sees the action taken by Ruth as an even greater loving kindness than the first. So not only has she left her family and home to care for her widowed mother-in-law to the end of her days as she is a widow herself and doing manual labor to collect this food for their survival, but she is even looking out for the well-being of Naomi when it comes to her decision about remarrying. And Boaz sees that she could marry someone younger, but that Ruth's bold proposal is out of great loving loyalty to Naomi. For Naomi's deceased husband's line to continue and that Naomi would provide for any, would be provided for and cared for just as Ruth would by this marriage to Boaz. And so Boaz agrees and he says, okay, actually there's a kinsman who's ahead of me. So there's work that has to be done in order for Boaz to be the actual kinsman. There's somebody who is in line before him. And so what he says is I have to go and get this taken care of. He goes, proposes this idea of, hey, you're this kinsman. Would you want this land? The kinsman says, yeah, I'd want it. He goes, okay, by the way, you'd have to marry this foreigner, this Moabite wife, Ruth. And the guy goes, oh, nope, that's going to mess up my own inheritance. 
And so then Boaz says, great, I am going to marry Ruth. I am going to redeem this family, and I'm going to take this land. So he gets the job done, and he marries Ruth, and they have a son. The son's name is Obed, and there's this beautiful blessing at the end to Naomi. And it says in 14, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. So the story, the book of Ruth has often been thought of as this love story between Ruth and Boaz. But what we actually see is that it is a story of love and commitment that Ruth has for Naomi. The love Naomi has for Ruth, who has demonstrated this character of God. What is seen over and over again when Ruth is talked about by Naomi and by Boaz is this word of kindness that we see in our text, but it's the same word, that Hebrew, that Hebrew word hesed, that is talked about of Yahweh. When Yahweh reveals himself, it's the same that he uses, this covenantal love. And so from the beginning of the book to the end, Ruth's love for Naomi is marked by her concern of Naomi's interest over her own which was, as I was thinking about this, reminding me just how much she embodies what we see in Philippians 2. So let me read that for you in verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Ruth is commended for her loyal, loving kindness throughout the whole book. And here we have this foreigner, a Moabite woman who comes to live among Yahweh's people, who is displaying one of the key attributes that Yahweh uses to describe himself in Exodus 34, 6. And her concern for the well-being of others before herself points to the love of Yahweh, how Yahweh was caring for his people. Naomi, who is an Israelite, how he is caring for her in his own covenantal steadfast love is through the covenantal steadfast love that Ruth provides. And so what we see in Ruth and even in Boaz and Naomi's love and care back for her is this picture not only of Yahweh's care for them through other people, but it also points forward to Christ who's going to be the fullness of this picture. The fullness of all of God's covenant promises are all fulfilled in Christ's love 
who does not seek his own interests but the interests of others, who did not come to be served but to serve. And he's the one who fulfills it. Yes, Ruth did a beautiful job, and we have this wonderful story, but Ruth is still human, and she is still a sinner. But it points everybody to Jesus who has done this full picture of God's love for us. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. And so what does that mean for us? The verse that came to my mind when we're thinking about committed love to each other, what does that mean for our friendships? What does that mean for intimacy building within our friendships? What does that mean for us in the family of God? I was taken to Jesus's words in John 13, uh, 34. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so when we have this experience of the love of Christ that we've experienced this covenantal love, that that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we were back in rebellion to him, that we've experienced this love of Christ and we have been made friends, we've been made his friend, and we've been brought into this family where we have brothers and sisters to our right and left. And we have this committed love for one another. It is a testimony to other people. They see that there's something different about us. They see that there's something different about our relationships. They see that there's this intimacy within our friendships, and it's attractive. Now, I know this is true because I've seen this in my own life. A lot of you know Narelle Chase. She's a leader here, and she is a dear friend. She is committed to biblical friendship, and um, her and I became friends in high school. We met at Red Mountain High School, and our friendship really blossomed here at the youth group. I grew up at another church, and so all of my friends uh, who were like church friends, uh, they went to different high schools. So when I was at Red Mountain, most of my friend group there, they were not Christians. And so they were good friends, but they, it, there was just something different about when I met Norell, and right away we could just share this, the most intimate part of who we are, our faith in Jesus and our commitment to follow him. And so it was because of that intimacy and that commitment to the same goal that there was this intimacy and commitment to one another uh, that we had. And, um, And so in those kind of relationships, when you find a friend who you can have this deep commitment with and intimacy shared, there is such freedom in that. There is such freedom in that friendship where you can let your true self out. You can let yourself be known by that person. And one of the first things that I noticed about Narelle was that we, her and I, I called her today to see if she remembered this, but one of the first things, we were 17, uh, I think it was a Sunday after um, service, And we were at Red, White, and Brew, her and I were just having lunch. And I don't know if it was because it was talked about in the sermon or what, but for some reason, this thing, this subject that I had really feared, when I was 17 and I was wrestling with my faith, I was really struggling and had a lot of fear, like something that would give me anxiety and keep me up at night, was thinking about like the end times in the Bible and thinking about like heaven and hell and judgment and God's goodness and all of this and uh, what does eternity look like and all these things. And it was things that I really wrestled with. And I, I couldn't share that 
with other friends because they just wouldn't understand. There didn't seem to be that safety nor the commitment to the same things. But I remember feeling Narelle was committed to our friendship. She was committed to the same things that I was committed to. And I felt the freedom in that moment to share with her, hey, this is actually something I really wrestle with. I kind of find a little shame in it that I wrestle with it so much because I don't know if you're allowed to as a Christian. You are. You totally are. It's so weird. It's, end time stuff is weird. And let's talk about it. Um, and so I was able to share that with her. And her have a response of, hey, here are things that I fear too. So my vulnerability begot her vulnerability. She was able to say, here are things that I have fears about. And we were able to walk through those together because we were committed not only to each other's friendship, but also to each other's walk and journey with the Lord. And so what I am saying when it comes to this passage in John 13 was I had, a, I had a, one other friend in particular who noticed that. She was saying, hey, that's really interesting. Didn't you just meet Narelle this year? How is it that you guys are so close? There was this intimacy within our friendship that spoke to other friendships in my life where they saw this intimacy that was attractive to them. It was a moment where I could point people back to Yahweh, not saying like, oh yeah, me and Narelle, we just click better. It's, you know, she's my best friend and she's better than you. No, there was this deeper intimacy that we had with one another. And I could point and give all glory back to the Lord that this is how God designs us to live with one another, that we can be intimate, that we can be ourselves and fully let down our walls and be vulnerable with one another. And it's a testimony to other people about what God's covenantal love is like. And so three things that I want to close with from this case study in Ruth, um, three things just that we can take away from this is uh, the first one, commitment, loyal love is trusting in Yahweh and not a secured outcome. Commitment and loyal love is trusting in Yahweh and not a secured outcome. I'm kind of taking this from what Preston was saying. Uh, one of his uh, application points was trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And let's trust that the creator of life is the one who can tell us what it is like, what it's going to take for those relationships to thrive, to be living abundant life. So commitment, loyal love is trusting in Yahweh and not in a secured outcome. Commitment, loyal love is not only looking to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Commitment and loyal love is not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It can be as simple as just asking questions when we go to make decisions. How will this affect this friendship? How does me making this decision affect my relationships? How does this decision affect my church family that I am a part of? Ruth was making decisions, and she made a decision that was to the benefit not just of herself, but also looking out for Naomi. The last thing, commitment to the things of the Lord by the power of the Spirit transform us into the image of Christ. Commitment to the things of the Lord. Now, when we're thinking about the things of the Lord, what he's called us to do, to encourage one another, to forgive one another, to be committed to conflict resolution with one another. Oof, that one's hard. That one is hard, but we are called to it. And 
little side note, I'm taking a class right now on conflict resolution in the church, and it is good, and it is beautiful, and I'd love to talk about it with you, but to quote Tim Mackey, it is worth a long walk and a cup of tea, so that is for another time, Um, but we are committed to the things of the Lord, forgiveness, conflict resolution, encouraging one another, loving one another, being committed to one another, And by the power of the Spirit, we are being transformed to look like Jesus, the one who has shown us the fullness of God's covenantal love. And so you guys will have more opportunity in your small groups to discuss what this looks like for you personally, in your friendships, in this room, as you are a member of Red Mountain Community Church. But um, I am going to pray for us, and then the band is coming back up. Father, thank you so much for tonight, Lord. I just thank you for uh, your love, that you are a God of covenantal, faithful, loyal love. Thank you for Jesus, that in him, your promises, we have seen that you are faithful and you deliver on your promises. You are a God who can be trusted And you are the God who most fully knows us, that we can be most fully intimate with. Lord, help us to cultivate an intimacy with one another and a commitment with one another. Help us to long for the things that you long for and to be transformed by your spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.